you so much. This is, I have to step on your applause so I can talk. I really appreciate it though. This is a very exciting event. And I was here last year. I don't know how many of the rest of you were here last year, but it rocked and it is rocking again this year. And I'm just really proud to be able to speak with all of you about my journey. My journey from Love Canal to 2006 and how we're gonna journey from 2006 to forever. There's no end to this work, because we can always do better, because we need to talk to each other. We've heard all day long about how we need to communicate with community, how we need to stand together. So I wanna talk about the lessons we learned at Love Canal, about standing together, and about how do we reach beyond the people in this room, beyond the people who are already converted. And I even brought a little show and tell, which is kind of fun. So let me begin by talking about Love Canal and the lessons we learned through that journey. And there are a number of things, for those who were not alive in the 70s, it was way back then, um, Love Canal was a dump site with 20,000 tons of chemicals that leaked out into the community, poisoned the community. Now this community had the same things in beliefs and systems that we're dealing with today in many other communities. And that's what I want to talk about, the social belief systems that we are up against, the cultural um, needs and, and sort of reflection, and the regulatory problems that we face that other speakers today have already addressed. And let me begin by talking about sort of society. So in 1978, when I was about to organize Love Canal, my children were very sick, we lived in an industrial city and we smelled chemicals every single day. And when we smelled those chemicals, we didn't think harm, we didn't think poison, we didn't think death. We thought a good economy. We knew when we smelled chemicals that there would be food on our table that there would be a roof over our heads, that we would have health care for our children, for our family. And today, if you go to Akron, Ohio, or Atlanta, Georgia, where the, one of the satellites are, or Detroit, or any other industrial city, it is still the same. People believe that we need chemicals to survive. And that is a huge obstacle that we had to overcome at Love Canal, and that we as activists and movement people need to help overcome today and tomorrow in our society. The other belief and brainwashing that happens that makes our work so much harder is that at Love Canal, I prided myself on being a really good mom. I was the best mom, in fact. There wasn't a better mom. I had the whiter white, whitest whites, cleanest cleans. I believe Dow Chemical. I believed that I had to go out and buy scrubbing bubbles to clean my bathtub because if I didn't, I was a failure. Every day on television, in our society, people are brainwashed to believe that things like scrubbing bubbles we cannot live without. It is a huge obstacle to reach those masses, not the people in this room, I don't think anybody here buys scrubbing bubbles, 
or in the satellite locations. But it's a huge obstacle when we're talking about how do we move the public. And lastly, the regulatory system and the system that we deal with in this country, and to a certain extent, other countries overseas. When I was organizing at Love Canal, my children got very, very sick. My daughter had a blood disease, rare blood disease, and almost died. My son had epilepsy, a liver problem, a urinary tract disorder, which required two operations to correct. He had asthma, and he had a depressed immune system. In fact, they discharged him from the hospital because the hospital was such a threat to him because of his suppressed immune system. All of this is going on, and nobody told me about Love Canal. Nobody told me these, this dump was there. Nobody told me the chemicals were traveling. And I read about it in a newspaper. And in the newspaper, it talked about a report that had been done years ago on Love Canal. So I went and got that report. Now, I am a housewife, right? I'm the whitest white, cleanest clean, sparkling clean housewife. I have a high school education. I have a C in algebra because I couldn't figure out why I needed algebra to bake a better cake. I'm going to be a housewife. I come from a working class community. But I went and got this report and tried to muddle through it. And it was very technical. And when I read this report, I read that before my children got sick, before my neighbor's children got sick, before women lost their children, that they knew we were all being poisoned. And we believed, after reading a number of reports, we believed that if we used the science, if we showed people that we were getting sick, and so many of us, and I, I ask you to raise your hands, including the satellite location, how many of you depended on science to prove the problem you were working on? Just raise your hand. Tons of you. We believed that if we showed, if we proved that we were being sick, something would happen. We did a health survey, 900 families, and we found that 56% of our children were born with birth defects. Three years, double rows of teeth, mentally retarded. We looked at women who were pregnant during the study. There were 22 women who were pregnant. Well, only four normal babies came from that. And Love Canal is not any different than Cancer Alley. Love Canal isn't any different than where I just came from in West Berkeley. Love Canal isn't any different than so many other communities. So I'm using it as an example. But these same statistics are all across this country. So we proved to ourselves that we were right. And we presented this to the government because we believed that if we prove scientifically that there is a problem, just like people are trying to prove scientifically that there is climate change problems, which we know that there are so many other problems that we know that they would do the right thing. So we give it to them, and they say, it's useless housewife data collected by people who have a vested interest in the outcome like they never do, and they physically threw it on the floor. And again, this is a Love Canal journey, but it's no different than others. I'm Irish, and I'm proud of it. You don't throw things on the floor <laughs> to an Irish woman. So I picked it back up. 
I put it back on the table and said, look at this. And it took a long time for them to actually do a study, but they did do a study. And the point of this whole story is that they came to Love Canal and they were going to tell us the results of their study. So we're excited because we know, we've heard through the grapevine, they found the same thing we found. And so they come to the auditorium and they, on a raised stage like this, and they had their, their statisticians and their epidemiologists and their other ologists. There's all these ologists. When you have studies, they all have to have ologists next to them. There's the biologists. The, they were all there. And they talked about the method and how they did the study and blah, blah, blah. And then they said, we found a similar thing that the homeowners at Love Canal found. We found that 56% of the children in this community, in fact, were born birth defected. And we found that the type of birth defects that the homeowners found were also very similar. So we're saying, yes, and you're going to evacuate us because that's what we wanted. You know, and we, we, we actually bought champagne the night before because we were convinced that this will move the government. But instead of saying, and we will take the following actions, they said, but. But we don't believe that the 56% birth defect rate in this community has anything to do with the 20,000 tons of chemicals in the center of the neighborhood. We believe that Love Canal is actually a random clustering of genetically defected people. When we asked them about the miscarriages, they said they found the same thing, 22 women who were pregnant and only four normal babies were born. But then they said, we don't believe the women miscarried their children. What we believe is that the women had legalized abortions and did not want to tell their spouses. And they had that because of Lois Gibbs creating hysteria in the neighborhood. Science clearly did not work to get us evacuated. Science is important for us to have legitimacy, to have an understanding of what needs to be done and what is happening, and to move forward. But science was not the answer. So we're Americans. I'm Irish, but I'm also an Irish American. And so we decided to do what so many groups across the country do, is file a lawsuit. Because in America, everybody sues everybody about everything, right? So we found a lawyer, and we sat down with this lawyer, and we said to our lawyer, well, this has got to be wrong. This shouldn't be allowed. So um, what can you do? And the lawyer said, well, actually, we can't do anything. Because in America, it is not illegal to poison people. When you hear about permits, discharge permits, the chemicals that create the ozone hole, the chemicals that kill the fish and the wildlife, the chemicals that come from paper mills and, and um, pesticides and so forth, all of those have licenses and all those companies have permits. Permits means permission. They have permission to poison us. And they have permission to poison us for a certain amount. They have permission to cause one in a million cancer per chemical per discharge pipe, assuming 
that they stay within their permitted amount of discharge, which none of them do. Take a ride down Cancer Alley and just smell the air. It's not a good economy, it's a death trap. They give permits in the same way people get hunting and fishing licenses in this country. Is that you are allowed to take a certain number of deer or a certain number of fish and a certain size of fish at a certain time of the year. But the difference between the corporate permission and the hunting and fishing license permission is when you got a hunting license or a fishing license, you are never allowed to take the babies. When you have a corporate license, it is based on exposure of a 160-pound male 40 hours a week or 24 hours a day, not an unborn child in a mother's womb, not an infant crawling on the ground. That's the difference. So I got mad. <laughs> not because I'm Irish, because it's stupid. How dare they? So I tried to figure out, how do they do this? And I really got mad when I found out the last piece. It's the last piece in our regulatory system is that they do what they call a cost-benefit and risk-benefit analysis. So here's what they did at Love Canal in that report I mentioned earlier. In this report, they talked about Love Canal being a problem, as so many other communities are across the country. And they talked about what it would take to clean up Love Canal. And what they decided is it would cost about $20 million to clean up Love Canal. And then they said, well, if we're going to spend $20 million to clean up Love Canal, taxpayers' money, who benefits? So they looked at our community. They looked at our families. And this is what they did. It was a huge computer model, but I'll make it very simple is they looked at my family and they saw that my husband made $10,000 a year, so my husband is worth $10,000 a year. Because I did not work outside the household, I was worth nothing. Because my son Michael was likely to follow in his daddy's footsteps, he was worth $10,000 a year plus an inflation factor. And because Melissa was likely to follow in her mother's footsteps, she was worth nothing. There's no inflation factor on zero. And when they calculated the 900 families who lived around Love Canal, and they said in their report that we were at imminent health risk. These chemicals were in our homes, in our backyards, in our body, in our air. When they did this calculation about $20 million and who would benefit, they made a decision in 1976, two years before I even knew about Love Canal, that we were not worth $20 million. They made a conscious and deliberate decision. And every day across this country, when you're, whether you're talking about wildlife, whether you're talking about ozone, whether you're talking about climate change, whether you're talking about communities in Mississippi and Louisiana and Utah and Michigan and Texas, every single community is put through this system. 
How dare anybody say what my family is worth? How dare they? And and it is not, it is just not right, morally or ethically, that somebody with a corporate interest, with a dollar interest, is making a decision each and every day in this country about who lives and who dies. And the people who live and die is about wealth and privilege. If you're black and you're poor, you're gonna die. If you're white and you're wealthy, you're more likely to live. That's the bottom line. And that is not how the American people feel about this. Most American people have no clue this is even happening. Only those who have become victim of this pretty much know what's happening. So what do we do about it? So we learned through Love Canal that science is critically important to our efforts. All the science we heard here this morning is so important to give us credibility and give us direction. But that in of itself is not enough. And the legal work, well, we already know that it's legal to pollute and poison people, so obviously that's not enough. We can get some compensation, but how do you compensate for a lost baby? How do you compensate for a dead parent? How do you compensate for a dead child? There is no compensation for that. I will tell you there is no compensation for that. So the legal system doesn't work. So what we need to do is move in the political system. We need to organize. So let me tell you the best part about Love Canal before I move on. And that is, we were blue collar. We know we made $10,000 a year. We had a limit formal education. And we brought the President of the United States to our stage to give us relocation. We, the community of 900 families, raised enough stink, raised our voices, united together, stood together, and demanded, demanded that the government make right, and they came to Love Canal. We passed a federal law called Superfund, which really isn't very super, but nonetheless, we passed a law. So if a small community of 900 families, working class families, can bring the President of the United States to their stage, then we, as a community here and at the satellites and the ones that weren't able to be here, can change this world if we stand together. We can do this. And the key, the key to doing this is changing the paradigm. So instead of talking about how much harm can human life, wildlife, marine life, or the earth tolerate, we need to ask the question of how much harm can we avoid? How much harm can we avoid in this society and the society in the global world. How much can we avoid? And that's a huge paradigm shift. It is a huge paradigm shift. It's, it's referred to as a precautionary principle, and in California it works well by calling it a precautionary principle. In Alabama it doesn't quite work as well, but we call it precautionary action in Alabama. And this is where we need to change. So how do we do this? 
We need to shift corporations, we need to shift government, and we need to shift consumers. So we need all three of these. Government, we need to pass the precautionary principle policies all across the country and the globe. That if there is another way, and it's a safer way, that is the way we must go. No choice, no alternative. We must go there. In the industries, we need to stop buying garbage. We need to stop buying toxics. And I know the people in this room and at the satellites are not buying toxics, but how do we reach the other people? And I'm gonna give you an example of how we do this. We need to be fun. We're very intense people. <laughs> I, actually, I'm not intense. I sort of am intense, but I'm really fun too. It's, it comes from Irish, and we only can have one drink, and we're drunk, and it's a whole <laughs> cultural thing. We need to stop being so intense. We need to figure out ways to move, reach out, and touch other people and convince them that this is the way we need to go. So here's what we did. is We, we have launched what we call a PVC campaign, campaign. PVC is plastic with chlorine. Simple. Plastic with chlorine. In its life cycle, it is a problem. So in Louisiana, where they make PVC, they have a huge cancer cluster around that plant. Huge cancer cluster, women unable to have children. When you use PVC plastic, which by the way is identified with a three, or a V as in vinyl, because PVC is also vinyl. So when you use it, it leaks into the air or into the product chemicals. Chemicals that are hormone disruptors, chemicals that are cancer causing. And then when you dispose of the PVC in other communities, almost always low income, almost always of color, the PVC turns into dioxin. Okay, so the whole cycle of PVC is bad. And we don't need PVC. But how do we get Joe and Susie couch potato or six pack to stop buying PVC? So I have a film, uh, a, a short DVD, and this is one of the ways we are trying to reach out to those folks. I was running out of time and the stakes couldn't have been higher. You see, my job is protecting the Johnson household from dangerous toxins. Yeah, I'd been a hero in the past, locking away household killers like lead and DDT. But now I was facing the most dangerous toxic offender yet, PVC, the poison plastic, also known as vinyl. But the trail had gone cold. Who was this killer with a thousand faces? Where in the house was he hiding? And how do you nail a suspect you can't even ID? Word around the bathroom was I was washed up. And then she floated in. Sam Suds. What can I do for you, duck face? It's this rubber ducky I've been seeing. He seemed nice enough at first, but I'm starting to suspect that he ain't made of rubber. What are you saying? I'm saying I think he's PVC. Now she had my interest. What makes you think he's PVC, ma'am? Look at this. Yeah, it's little Timmy Johnson chewing on your boyfriend's head. So, what of it? Look closer. Say, what gives? There's a three on this duck's butt. What do you think it means, Sam? I don't know, Sweet Feathers. Where can I find this character? He usually hangs out under the faucet by the bathtub. Thanks. Sam, be careful. Things were starting to bubble up and I was working myself into a lather. So here I was, 
looking for some squeaky toy in the seediest part of town where soap wasn't always welcome. The place stunk like a new shower curtain. What do you want? I'm looking for PVC. Does this mean anything to you? It's a kid chewing on a duck. Yeah, yeah, we're past that. What do you make of that three? I don't know nothing. Maybe this'll jog your memory, Squirt. Yeah, okay, okay. That three is the mark of PVC. You see that three, you know it's the poison plastic. What else? Spell it. Uh, okay. PVC is toxic from start to finish. In the factory, at home, and in the trash. You can't even recycle PVC. It contaminates and ruins other recyclable plastics. But worst of all, PVC releases poisonous chemicals linked to cancer and birth defects. It was worse than I thought. How could they make a little innocent ducky out of PVC? Hey, suds. You looking for me? Give me one good reason why I shouldn't flush you right now. What good would it do you? This bathroom is full of PVC. That's a lie. The Johnsons and I have this place under close watch, see? The Johnsons? They're the ones who are bringing in all the PVC. Every time they go shopping, just look at this list. Bottles, toys, shower curtains, even the new siding on the house. You know that new shower curtain smell? That's the smell of toxic chemicals being released. It was the Johnsons all along. But how could it be? Didn't they know to look for the three? There was no time to lose. This case is closed, Duckface. PVC won't be a problem in this house anymore. How'd you do it, Sam? I just helped the Johnsons cut it off at the source. There's plenty of safe alternatives out there. No need for this family to buy the poison plastic anymore. Through this campaign, we've gotten Microsoft to roll over, um, Walmart, Johnson & Johnson. We got Johnson & Johnson's to use bio-based plastic, not GMO, bio-based plastic. So my, my message to you is essentially, we need to shift the marketplace, we have to shift government, we have to shift consumers. And the way we can do that is through lots of different avenues, fun things like this, um, but talking about precautionary action. We need an umbrella, an umbrella to talk about, to unite our voices, to unite our efforts, so that we can move forward. And precautionary action or precautionary principle is that umbrella. There are alternatives for PVC. We don't need PVC. We don't need the pesticides that are being dumped on crops all over this country. We don't need genetically engineered crops in this country. We don't need so much, but the only way we're going to change that is through affecting government, corporations, and consumers. Now, in New York, for example, we passed a policy. The policy says that New York City, which is huge, cannot buy PVC. Shift the market, shift the government. In New York, we've also passed a policy that says no school and no state institution can use toxic cleaners. They have to use green cleaners. We are moving across the country. So we work in dump sites all across the country. We work with local people. We try to move um, and clean up their sites. 
and we've been doing this for 20 years, and even those efforts are about precautionary action. The moms and dads in Woolburn, the civil action book you may have read about, or read, actually, um, was about Ann Anderson and Robbins and the rest of the moms stopping the polluted well from feeding water to innocent families. So much of our work is really about prevention, and that's where we need to focus. That's where we really need to unite our voices. So my message, my, my strongest message here today, is that we need to find ways to stand together. 900 families at Love Canal brought the President to the United States. The 11,000 plus people who are hearing and seeing this telegraph can change the world if we stand together and if we say, people united will never be defeated. If we make sure, if we make sure that we support each other, we don't have to do supper with each other, we don't have to like each other. We can think one another is weird or different or too intense or too flaky. That's okay. But what we need to do is stand together on these issues. We need to have our voices elevated. There are two sources of power in this country. The first is money. Anybody in this group got lots of money that we can do Dow Scrubbing Bubble counter commercials? No, we got some money. The other source of power in this country is people. And we talked earlier about voting and making sure you vote at the polls on Tuesday to make sure Tuesday, November 7th. People make the difference. So people need to stand up, hold hands, talk about alternatives, 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 and people united will never, ever be defeated. So stand up and say, people united will never be defeated. The people united will never be defeated. The people united will never be defeated. Thank you.